listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Porter. What's his last name? Down three. This is for the tie. Seconds remaining. Shed. Joel Shed feeds inside Roberts. He throws it down for the Houston lead. 1.2 remaining. Jones across midfield. Jones just waiting for somebody. Jones inside the 20 to the 10. Patterson in the corner for three. To midcourt. That's Mark at the buzzer. It's gone! It's gone! Tremont Mark at the buzzer! They call him a five slamma jammer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Slamma Jamma presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andy Honest, and you can find me on Twitter at Aonis underscore five. Here with my co-host, Dan, take it away. And Andy, what's up, my brother? I'm Dayon Dunlap, the co-host here on Pod Slamma Jamma. Be sure to follow the Pod Slamma Jamma account as well as me, Dayon Dunlap. Back for another episode. Also, before we start, be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU for as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We really, really appreciate it. And Dayon, another week, another, <laughs> really uh, another heartbreaking, uh, heart-thrilling excitement overtime thriller that the University of Houston men's basketball team had on Sunday against Wichita State. Um, the first game uh, that has gone into double overtime for the University of Houston men's basketball team dating back to 2016, a game against East Carolina, which they also won in double overtime. But this game on uh, this past Sunday against Wichita State had a little bit of everything. And and from the Houston perspective, it was a bit of an up and down battle, especially towards the overtime periods where it looked like Houston was very close to being able to close the door against Wichita State. They would rally back. And, and, and I mean, it had everything you could have asked for. And of course, going down to the to the final possessions where uh, before uh, Wichita State drills a three by Craig Porter that tied it, you have the crazy possession with with Ramon Walker diving for the loose ball. Somehow the ball gets into Josh Carlton's hands. He gets the end one finish. And of course, Craig Porter comes down for Wichita State, ties the game, and then Jamal Shedd pushes the pace, finds Jay Wong Roberts wide open for the dunk, and that seals the win. Dayon, before we get into any, any specifics, just that last sequence, how crazy of a game was it uh, that Houston was able to pull off that overtime thriller against Wichita State? Man, it was crazy. Uh, what a game. And, I mean, we, we tweeted from the account, the toughest team wins. And just Houston's toughness, their resilience, their, their, the way that they stuck together, Coach Sampson coaching, and this one possession late in the second overtime went to a zone and, and they got a stop on that possession. Just the, just the little things in which there really are big impacts on the game. And I really, really love this team. I know it's been a 
really like an up and down season, more ups than down. But I, I really, really love this team. For sure. And uh, real quickly, we're going to play a clip from University of Houston men's basketball head coach Kelvin Sampson, who after the game talked a little bit about adversity and just really how uh, early on in the season, one of Houston's, really Houston's first loss of the season against Wisconsin for the Maui Invitational after falling behind uh, by double digits, rallying back. Houston had a chance to tie that game uh, late against Wisconsin. Uh, Jamal Shedd was in a similar position where he had Kyler Edwards up ahead and he he was going to, had he passed it sooner, it would have been a chance for, for them to tie the game. Unfortunately, the time runs out. Houston ends up losing that game and they find themselves in a similar situation again this past Sunday against Wichita State. Here, once again, is head coach Kelvin Sampson talking a little bit about the adversity that helped this team grow. Adversity and not being afraid of failure. Um, you know, that, that failure he had against Wisconsin uh, was good for him. Because it's usually the first step on the ladder to success is some kind of failure. You know, some people, you know, immature people, irresponsible people, uh, just don't know how to handle failure. Um, but uh, we got a bunch of uh, tough kids. This group's been through a lot uh, this year. It's been a uh, tough year in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, winning uh, six out of seven games on the road uh, for this group is pretty significant. You know, we've, we've had some really, really good teams uh, around our place. Um, and this, this team's got some uh, holes, and, you know, and no depth at the guard spot. But, you know, they, they just kind of keep fighting. You know, we made some uh, hustle plays, toughness plays, uh, offensive rebound. Um, as the game wore on, I thought our culture uh, really helped us. Uh, um, can't say enough about Wichita State's kids, though. You know, one team walked away happy tonight. But their kids fought their hearts out, man. Once again, that was Kelvin Sampson post-game following the close win over Wichita State. Day, a couple of things there that I, I, I want to get your thoughts on. First, uh, like we mentioned, he talks quickly immediately about that Wisconsin game thing back early on in the season back in November. It seems uh, it's hard to imagine that it, it was way back in the season. It seems like so long ago for the beginning of the season. But he mentions right there uh, failure for immature people, immature players. You know, it's really hard for them to kind of deal with it and overcome it. And then he mentioned it right here for Houston. Really, uh, he mentioned the culture, identity plays. Of course, that's something that, that that word kind of becomes synonymous with the University of Houston men's program. But also just going from that adversity. And, and there's another clip that we, we didn't get to, but he mentioned how ever since that Wisconsin game, practice there would always be the scenarios five he would put five seconds on the clock and make Jamal should have to go through all those scenarios so he can get a chance and get an idea of all the things that he could do with five seconds and never have to feel rushed because he'd been in that situation not only in Wisconsin but so many times in practice yep and he talked about how um going through adversity and how they embrace adversity and how 
before you could get success, often you have to go through adverse times. And like you said, they went through that early in the season. And then like the great coach he is, he put his team in that position in practice. So when the time comes in the game, they know how to execute and not be rushed and play with poise. And that's exactly what Jamal Shedd did after that three was made. He got the ball, pushed it up quickly and made that pass to Jaywan, and the rest was history. And I mean, I, I just really love Jamal Shedd, his poise, his leadership, um, I think he's becoming more and more of a complete player every game. He started to knock down that three-point shot with more consistency. His mid-range jumper, he's been making that with consistency. And his playmaking ability, he, he's really forming into an all-around good point guard, kind of like I expected. I tweeted, I think his senior year when he committed to the University of Houston about his basketball IQ and how well he will fit with this program. It's kind of making me look good and I mean, I can't take the credit. I mean, it's all Coach Sampson, all Jamal Shedd, and that entire team. Just at first, you um, look at Ramon Walker and, and the shots that he hit. That was another player that he talked about in the post-game press conference, how Tajay and Kyler didn't shoot the ball as well as they can shoot it, but Ramon stepped up. Like I've been saying in previous episodes, that kid can really, really score the basketball. I know he had his hand injury. And I knew it was only a matter of time before he started getting shots to fall. And the last two games, he's actually – his jumper started falling. He's knocking it down from three. And so, Coach Sampson, man, I, I think he he's really just – he's really going to keep it 100. He kept it 100 at the press conference. What was your thoughts, sir? No, for sure. Like you mentioned, the poise that uh, not just Jamal Shedd, but the entire team showed uh, after Craig Porter Jr. hit that three, it tied the game. The entire uh, Charles Cocorino was going nuts. Uh, I mean, honestly, from after looking at the play at a whole bunch of different angles, it looked like Wichita State was kind of expecting a timeout. Houston didn't look rattled. They get, Jamal Shedd got the ball and calmly pushed the pace, and, and they caught Wichita State. Uh, to, to be quite frankly, they weren't really prepared to play defense for that final possession. They caught him snapping his on. J1 Roberts wide open and uh, the player you mentioned, Ramon Walker, um, going back to, to that game against Wichita State, only six players played for 30 or more minutes and Ramon Walker was the only non-starter to play 30 plus minutes. I think right there as a freshman, uh, something that uh, that Kelvin Sampson has said in the past and he said post game where, I mean, this is a year where to, honestly Walker was supposed to be a red shirt. He wasn't supposed to, he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time behind Marcus Sasser, behind Ramon Mark. And here he is, uh, literally three weeks away before the American Athletic Conference tournament. Like you mentioned, he's had to battle his own adversity with his own injuries where, I mean, there was a point where he couldn't even utilize his hand. He slowly progressed. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, his three-point shot, he's, he's kind of found his stroke a little bit in the past couple of games. But outside of his offensive, uh, what he can do offensively, that's not really what what kind of sticks out to you, at least when you're watching him play, he, regardless of whether he's scoring or not, he always seems to, to catch your eye because he's doing exactly, he's doing those, uh, like going back to the host of play, that dive into the loose ball, drawing, drawing charges. There's always something that's not necessarily going to show up in the stat sheet that he's doing. And and when Ramon Walker's in the game, you notice that he's in the game and that that's, that's a big uh, key. That's, that's a big culture player that honestly the past two seasons uh, Kelvin Sampson has mentioned that the year before uh, the 2019-20 season, uh, Kelvin Sampson said it was going to be Justin Gorham when he wasn't necessarily getting a, a set role in the rotation. Come this past uh, season during the Final Four run that they made, Justin Gorham was a vital key piece to that team. And then a year ago, he said the same thing about Jamal Shedd, that he was going to be, you were going to find out how good he was this coming season. And, and lo and behold, here comes 
this season, Jamal Shedd is arguably, to, to be quite frank, he's probably the most important player for this University of Houston men's basketball team. And I mean, just look at the minutes. He played all 50 minutes for the University of Houston men's basketball team. That's absurd. Yeah, I can agree with you more. I, I think he's definitely the most important player. Although Kyler can run some point guard, and he's probably um, – he would definitely a different type of point guard as far as scoring. But, man, Jamal Shedd, just the way he continues to develop, continues to get better, is very impressive. And like you said, with Ramon, uh, we talked about early on how Coach Sampson just gets – who players who are coming into his system just to buy in and do the dirty work and affect the game without scoring the basketball, whether it's taking charges, whether it's diving on the floor. Like he made arguably the winning play, diving on the floor, making that pass to Kyler. Then Kyler yeah. made the pass to um to Josh Carlton, who made uh, that uh, who made the and one. I know Porter made the shot after that, but if Mon Walker doesn't dive on that floor first, then Houston probably no telling how that game um, ends. And so when he's how he's able to get his players to buy in and just those tough plays, I, I just go back. I remember Nate making those plays as a yeah. freshman, just just different players who who have that impact. And it's just only I think Ramon just just looking at I think he's going to develop and just be so so good. He actually reminds me he well he has a similar game to Kyler as far as um in the system he's going to be spotting up shooting. If you look the way that Kyler played when, when um Houston had their full team with Marcus, he was kind of just a, a spot up shooter and, and a lockdown defender and did a lot of things like that. And so, man, I really like this team because they really can beat you anyway. I mean, no, it's really no way that you feel like, oh, we have to stop Josh. We have to stop um, Kyler. We have to stop Fabian. We have to stop Jamal. We have to stop anyone because we've seen Josh dominate in the paint or in the game. We've seen Kyler um, go off and win a game. We've seen Fabian go off and win a game. We've seen Jamal. And so it's just a really total team. But the lack of depth, it could come back and haunt this team at some point. Uh, Coach Samson always talks about it. They're like one player away from foul trouble um, or anything like that. It, and mm -hmm. the game or the season can go a different way. But where it stands right now, it, it's been very impressive. And Coach Samson, rightfully so, um, in the coaching, in the running for the coach of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of points I wanted to add. Kyler Edwards, who has been in a in a shooting funk the last couple of games, the last few games, uh, has really struggled, especially from the three point line. But you look and you look across the board. I mean, he's still rebounding. He's still finding different ways to impact the game. And you mentioned it. This team that that's the weakness, especially after Marcus Sasser, Tremon Mark got injured. Fabian White got it fouled out uh, in that game. Tajay Moore fouled out. And really, uh, even prior to in the first half when Houston really struggled offensively to get scoring, I think that's going to be something that's going to, like you mentioned, the lack of depth. They're running an eight-man rotation out there, and really only six players uh, are getting the bulk of the minutes. Jalen Roberts and Reggie Chaney each logged 11 minutes. That's going to be an issue, especially when you get uh, into the American Athletic Conference tournament where they have to play um, – Three, three games in three days, uh, something along those lines. And then, of course, when you get into the NCAA tournament, we're going to play two games in the span of three days. And then uh, that's really where I feel this team's going to be susceptible. And uh, I don't know, we're, we're still too early to kind of get any true um, 
make any specific predictions in terms of tournament, but I agree with you. I think that's really going to be uh, the key issue for this team going forward. And honestly, it's a struggle because there's not really much of an alternative they have. But Kyler Edwards and Jamal Shedd, both my, like I mentioned, Shedd logged 50. Edwards is right there with him at 49 minutes. That's going to catch up to them come tournament time, in my opinion. Yep, I think it definitely could. But one thing when tournament time comes is they'll have experience in playing these 50 minutes. It'll be expected. They'll they'll properly prepare. They'll use the piece. Properly preparation prevents piss poor performance. And so I, I think they'll do that. They'll uh, properly get the, enough rest, get their legs ready, and just do all those things, control what they can control. That way when it's game time. Because if you watch the game, you can't really look and be like, oh, he looks tired. He's playing tired. Tired. And you hear Coach Sampson say, my players, my guards, especially, was playing on fumes. But when you watch them, you, it, to me, it doesn't seem like, oh, he's tired. They need a break. But then you get Coach Sampson and in those moments, switch it to a zone or, or do little things mm-hmm. just to get his team a, a rest within the game. It, it's very important. And so as long as he's coaching, I definitely like their chances. And, um, and like we just like I just said, they can beat you in any way. It can be with a guard play. It can be with their post. But also their post players, what's one thing they will have um, post players fresh? Josh should be fresh because you got Reggie. Jay want to be fresh because he, he'll be coming in after Fade. Fade will be fresh because because he got someone who can sub in for him. So the post players will be fresh, and they'll still have that that rim protection like they have in their defense. That one they will they will play lockdown defense regardless if they're tired or not. It's just those scoring drafts because when you get tired, especially when you're hooping, your your legs and your shots the ones go first. But I think it can. I agree with you. I think it, it can at some point catch up with them um in the future. Yeah, and I think you're you're seeing it with Kyler Edwards specifically in terms of his yep. three point struggles with his legs, yep. um, and even Jamal Shedd as well. I mean, he had a couple of he hit a few big threes, especially late in that game against Wichita State. But overall, their shooting has gone down. Now it's not going to be a problem if they can figure out. Uh, with Houston, they always the mantra for them is they find a way to win, and they make those culture plays. Being able to get those second chance opportunity usually is going to give them. Uh, at the very least, an opportunity to be in the game late. Now, against these tournament teams, uh, especially towards uh, the March, that's going to be a struggle if they find themselves in those long scoring droughts, which, again, they did it against against Wichita State, so that's going to be something to keep an eye on. But we're going to leave it right there real quickly before we uh, dive into the UH women's basketball team. A couple of big games coming up for the men's side. They play Tulane on Wednesday, and before they have the big, I'm sure they have this one circled on their calendar, their big rematch against SMU Sunday, 11.30 in the morning, inside the Fertitta Center. Uh, not to look over Tulane, but the big matchup is going to be SMU. They hold the tiebreaker. They're only one game behind Houston in the American Athletic Conference. Now, what do you think the keys are going to be for Houston in that rematch against SMU? Because I'd imagine Mustangs are going to come in, they're going to be ready, and they're going to be pressuring Houston full court from the get-go. I think it's going to be guarding perimeter. Uh, um, Kendrick Davis had a really good game. Both of um, – I think it's the weather. Is it the Weathers brothers? I don't know. That name's giving both of, both of them had a good game. And really just SMU shot the basketball well. But I think that their first-line defense uh, that Coach Sampson always talked about is it, going to be important in trying to um, – 
kind of limit Kendrick Davis. He great as pers as he is, it's hard to stop him, but you want to make everything tough for him, not really get him any good looks because he just plays so well in that first matchup. And I think rebounding, Houston has to dominate it, the rebounding, the rebounding total, the rebounding battle. And it's going to be a blackout. The crowd is going to be rocking, sold out. Dallas, Houston matchup. It's going to be a good one, man. I'm expecting a dog fight, and I'm expecting Houston to win a close one. What about you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, like you mentioned, SMU shot the ball lights out in that in that matchup, especially caught fire towards the second half. They ended up shooting over 50% from the three-point line. Uh, I think something that they're going to be something to, to monitor is going to be Kendrick Davis, who kind of he tweaked his his leg. He had some type of leg injury, uh, literally the game after when they beat Houston in East Carolina and had to leave that game, ended up coming back, but then they held him out against, uh, I believe it was against uh, Temple in that game that SMU dropped. Um, certainly, I, I think Houston is going to be a lot more focused. They're going to be lasered in, like you mentioned. It's going to be a good atmosphere uh, in terms of the, the way Houston's promoting it. And I, I have to give Houston the edge, but I think it's going to be another close game, especially, yeah, you mentioned the Weathers brothers, the, the Weathers twins. Uh, really, they went off against Houston. They each had uh, Marcus at 20, Michael had 17, and Kendrick Davis is – always seems to show out against Houston. Um, so that's going to be something to monitor, but I think it's going to be another close game. And I have to give Houston edge just in terms of them being at Fertitta Center and having that home court advantage. Real quick, before we dive into the women's, uh, I know we talked a couple of episodes ago about the player of the year. Uh, who do you see it right now? I'm, I'm hearing on in media, some people saying Kendrick Davis, some people saying at times it could be Josh, it, it could be Kyler, Fabians even play like it. Where, where is the player of the year standing for you? I, I think it depends where SMU ends up finishing, but honestly, I'd have to give a nod to Kendrick Davis. Uh, I think Houston, it, it's kind of uh, – the, the, the strength of numbers has kind of uh, hurt them in that aspect because, like you mentioned, it's not one player that Houston's relying on. Like you mentioned, against Wichita State, Josh Carlton came up huge in that overtime period. But there's games where Tajay Moore steps up big. There's games where Jamal Shev steps up big. There's games where Fabian White steps up big. I think that's going to end up hurting any chances of one overall player winning uh, yeah. the American Athletic Conference Player of the Year, and especially depending on where SMU finishes. Uh, I think Kendrick Davis is it's got to be uh, the leading character, at least in the American. Yeah, I second that. I second that. And in just a moment, we're going to dive into the women's. They are coming off a loss against Tulane. And last week, they beat East Carolina. And we're recording this on Monday, February 21st. And they have a game this Wednesday against Temple. It's a, which is a big game for the women. So coming up just a moment, we want to dive into some women's hoops. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston, all original. And we're back here on Pod Slime Jamma covering your UH athletics, like Dayon mentioned before the break. We're diving into the UH women's basketball team who 
I had uh, another split week and we mentioned it this time in the past episode where really they, they have struggled offensively to get uh, a consistency going from their playmakers. And that really hasn't been the problem these past uh, two games. They put up 67 against East Carolina and then against Tulane, they were able to put up 72 points. Now, uh, still not the results they wanted, especially on Sunday against Tulane. Obviously, they beat East Carolina, but against Tulane, they fell short again. And like you mentioned, Dayon, uh, the UH women's basketball team, they only have three games left in the regular season before they gear up for the American Athletic Conference tournament. Now, obviously, the any chance of an at-large bid for the UH women's basketball team is non-existent, in my opinion. But what they need to do and focus on these next remaining three games is figure out, get a rhythm, and, and try to make a run in the American Athletic Conference tournament because that's the only chance they have at making the NCAA tournament, which was the goal they set out from the beginning of the season. Yep, yep. You, you couldn't have said it best. And just looking at, at the teams um, who will be in the tournament and the way they played against them teams, they played UCF really tough first two games. They should have won the first game. The second game, UCF played a, a better second half. South Florida got the best of them in, in their matchup. They play, they end the season on the road against them. Tulane beat them both times, both closed games. They beat SMU. And they have Temple again. So just, just looking at the teams, I mean, with the way they match up, they match up well with everyone in their conference. So I think they will be in that game if they bring their A game and can be consistent. They they have dry spells on the offensive end and where they just struggle to score for whatever reason it is. Defensively, they're able to defend and compete at a high level throughout um, a, a game. But it's just those laps offensively, whether it's turnovers, whether it's just unable to execute. And so if they can um, play well together and, and execute in the half court set, I, I mean, I, I think they have a shot. They have a puncher's chance. I definitely have a puncher's chance. I'm not, they're still battling for, for which seed they're going to be. And so, I mean, they're, they're going to have to buckle up, put their hard hat on, lace up their, their boots, and, and go to work. Because like you said, I mean, I don't, I don't think they, they definitely don't have a shot to just get an at-large bid. I think the top two teams, UCF and South Florida, will get a bid. I think Tulane could potentially get an at-large bid as well. It depends on if they can play well in the season and play well in the tournament. And so, and they expanded. They expanded the the tournament for teams. I believe it's sixty four teams now, if my memory serves me correct. And so, I, I, they definitely just have to really close out the season well to get some momentum going, and then play extremely well in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you mentioned, it gets too lane. It, it, it. 72 points, when you look at the overall number, it's good. But like you mentioned, once again, in the second and third quarters, it always seems like that they, for, that's been the story of the season. They struggled to put together a consistent performance for all four quarters against Tulane. That was the case in the second and third quarters where they only managed to hit four and six field goals respectively. And when I was talking with, with Chris last week, he, he mentioned how, honestly, they just have not been a good offensive team for the entire season. They just haven't been able to put it together. Now, this past week, Layla Blair, uh, I'm only recording this, the American Athletic Conference announced that she uh, was awarded on the honor roll for the conference, so she was able to put together a good week. But outside of Layla Blair, who we've talked about, has kind of been able to differentiate herself among the team as kind of the go-to offensive scorer, and depending on how she goes, the team goes, 
that's not really what we envisioned at the beginning of the season where this team, when you look to top to bottom, where they would be reliant on one player. Do you feel like that's been a big part of why they've been inconsistent? And just not having another no, I'm gonna have to disagree with that because there have been games where she's had six points, eight points, and hasn't played well, and they win those games. I definitely will say over the last week, two weeks, she's definitely growing and developing, like we've seen with Jamal Shedd. She isn't forcing anything, she's taking what the defense gives her, and she's creating plays for others. She's making a game easy for others because now she's on the top of the scattering for, for the opposing team. And so I definitely don't think it's um because it's it's because of they have to focus on Layla or she has just to play well because this team can win when she doesn't play well. She's been finding a way to impact the game. What I think it is just in that half court, they just, for whatever reason, they're unable to execute. And you look at, they've had, I believe, 11 different starting lineups and they've been having injuries. They had COVID and just different things that plague this team. That's why I think they don't have, they struggle offensively because I've watched every single game. I've called all their home games, but more importantly, I've seen it. I, I, I talk to a lot of people. I know a lot of people just talk it, but they don't actually watch the game. They just look at the stat sheet. So if you watch the game, you know the game. It, it, I can't say it's because they don't have a second score. It's more about their chemistry. That's what it is to me is chemistry and maybe not an offensive identity. I know they run a dribble drive, but at times this lack of ball movement, lack of player movement. And so, and then I feel like at times later, just like, okay, just let me go one-on-one just to try to create and make a play. And to her credit of recent, she has done a better job of not forcing it. She, if they double her or bring an extra player, she'd kick it out. And so I really think it's just a, a different factors that go into it. But the way that Layla is ascending right now, I feel like she she's definitely growing and I think she can help carry them because now she's realizing I don't have to score 20 points for us to win. I don't have to shoot X amount of shots for us to win. Long as she impacts the game, whether it's having four or five assists, having seven or eight rebounds, limiting her turnovers, making their free throws as a team. So it's just a lot of little things that they don't do consistently on the offensive end to make them an off good offensive team. But defensively, I know they gave up 28 points in that third quarter against Tulane, but they still was in the game. And so teams are going to make shots. That's just how the game goes. But offensively, for those different reasons, they're unable to execute. So I definitely don't think it's because it's a, a secondary score because in any game, Tierra Young can score, Brittany Onyeje can score, uh, Priya Patterson can score. In their last game against East Carolina, Jasmine Lewis, who hasn't played a bunch of minutes throughout this season, she had a career-high 13 points. Cam Jones was right there and had, I believe, eight points. And so they get production from their bench and different players. It's just about consistently playing well and taking care of the basketball. That's a huge thing, not turning over. They average 15 turnovers per game. They have games where they have 20-plus turnovers, and it's hard to win when you do that. Yeah, Sunday's lost to Tulane. That was actually the first loss all season long that Houston, that the Houston has lost where they've scored 70 or more points. So, uh, like you mentioned, when they find clicking, when they were able to click on offense, for the most part on throughout the season, they've been able to find success. Now, that's been the, the story. They haven't been able to consistently do it. Now, they're jumping in specifically into the matchup. They have Temple on Wednesday. 
SMU on Saturday. It was the final two home games of the season. They actually beat SMU earlier in the season up in Dallas. Now, I wanted to focus specifically about Temple first because that was the game where they they lost by eight and Philly were coming off the heels of that heartbreaking loss against UCF. And once again, that like you mentioned, the story of that game was the second quarter unable to put it together and Temple was able to jump ahead and seal them off. What do you think the keys are going to be uh, for the game against Temple in their rematches on Akita Center? Defending Mia Davis, she is Temple's all-time leading scorer. She is um, a three-level scorer as a post player. She's a good free-throw shoulder. She's really an all-around great offensive player. They have to try to limit her, double her, whatever they need to do to not allow her really to beat them herself. And so I, I think just kind of make it tough for her and, and, and play play in transition when the opportunity – presents itself but more importantly take care of the basketball when they don't turn the basketball over and throughout this season like you just said they were only they were only 10 when they didn't score more than 60 points now they lost their first game when they I mean they were undefeated when they scored oh yeah I was right I'm sorry yeah. they didn't score yeah. over 60 points that was only 10 and now for the first time this season like you just said they scored over 60 and they still lost and so it, it's just about turning the basketball over they had 16 turnovers against Tulane you have to turn over and you have to make your free throws you have to control what you can control at the end of the day you hear Coach Sampson say it a lot and it's just true that's why I like Coach Sampson because it just keeps it 100 he don't make it simple oh we got to do this no we got to keep it simple we got to make our free throws take care of the basketball we're, we're going to score we're going to manufacture points and so they're going to manufacture points whether whether it's Layla or whoever it's going to be, they got to take care of the basketball and pay attention to the scouting report. Not close out too hard on non-shooters and, and really just play together. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Mia Davis, and really she she's kind of been doing it all for Temple. She's averaging 18 points a game in the season, like you mentioned the past game against U of H. The last time they played U of H, she had 22 points also was able to set up poor assist and grab nine boards uh really what, what what's kind of going to be the key to slow her down you need to kind of say she's the key factor what what does UH have to do specifically to at least make it difficult for her to get in a groove and, and really make someone else have to step up for Temple I think they should put a bigger player on her. She's a power forward, so often Bria Patterson could guard her, will guard her, and she's definitely more than capable. I think she's one of their best defenders, one of the most versatile defenders. But Mia has bigger girth on her. She's a little wider, so she can back her down a little bit on the post. I think they should put Tatiana Hill on her. She has the length. She also um, can take charges. She's their best player in taking charges. And really, they just have to contest, not give her anything easy. A player that's good as she is, she's going to score. You're not going to stop her from scoring, but you can't allow her to get easy shots. And you can't send her to the free throw line and give her a, a chance to score at the free throw line because she's going to capitalize on her free throws. And other than that, they got a um, a good point guard who is a sophomore named Skips me right now in the moment. But uh, focus on trying to make everything tough on Mia because their team definitely goes through Mia. But for Houston offensively, get out in transition. They got to create opportunities to score that Coach Chewy doesn't have to coach. And what I mean by that is you don't want to have to come down to half court and call a set every single time. That's hard on any team, whether if we, whether it's the men's and Coach Simpson or any. You got to create 
opportunities to where you just passing the basketball, moving around and get open looks. And so if they can do that, I definitely like their chances. They can play with anyone in this conference outside of that South Florida game they, where they got blown out. They've really competed and been in every single game. It's just those different laps and different quarters that's plagued them throughout this conference play. But I, I love the ascension of Layla Blair. She's playing smarter. Yeah, she's still playing hard, but she's playing smarter and not trying to do too much. She's allowing the game to come to her. She's moving the basketball well in transition, which in result moves the defense and opens driving lanes for her teammates and for herself. And they can do that. Um, Julia Black Shafir, everyone has been playing pretty good in their roles. I know Tierra Young missed the last two games. They're going to need her to come back and be healthy because she's instant offense. And so other than that, I, I, I definitely think they can win. They're more than capable of winning this game, and they're more than capable of actually winning the tournament, the and conference tournament, that is. Before we get too far ahead, obviously, the, the next opponent after is going to be SMU. And in and, and that first meeting where Houston was able to go up there and beat them. They actually did a good job of being able to contain Savannah Wilkinson, who for the most part throughout the season has been their go-to player for SMU. Uh, what, what, what did you see from that first game meeting, and, and what do you think Houston's chances would be to be able to, to repeat that performance up in Dallas that they had up in Dallas? Against SMU? Yes. Against SMU, what they did against SMU was they really made it tough for SMU and um, th their post players when she was really, really good. Wilkinson, I believe her name is. They really yeah. made it tough for her. But for Houston, they got production from Gladney. Gladney made, that, made it a couple clutch three-pointers. And Glad Diamond has to take care of the basketball. She's their best floor general, probably their most – um, natural point guard hunter Erica Sidney and Erica Sidney's been playing more minutes in which I like that because she's a knockdown three-point shooter but what they did well against them they rebounded the basketball well and they're a really good offensive rebounding team as well they averaged 14 offensive rebounds per game they had 11 against SMU and if they can do that uh, and share the basketball free-flowing I, I think they were they went six from 20 from three that's not outstanding but it's still making clutch threes but they they got a rebound well tatiana hill had 11 bria patterson had 11 boards and you look at that game i just mentioned how layla she only had seven points in that game but she had five mm -hmm. assists and four rebounds she uh, impacted the game without scoring so that that's exactly what i meant and so uh, it, just if they can do that take care of it rebound play tough defense but more importantly when the game slows down I think Coach Chewy maybe insert Jasmine Lewis or whoever he can to throw it down low to try to create a, an opportunity to where they don't they don't just have stagnant offense. Mm -hmm. uh, one final point, and and this is what I'm gonna be curious about. We talked about the men's where really they have like the complete opposite problem where they're they're running out their eight man rotations and really it's more of a six man rotation when you when you really kind of break down the minutes. The women that's complete opposite in that spectrum where they're playing 10 men or 11, 10 women, 11 women deep rotations. Do you think that's kind of hampered them in being able to find a, a, a true type of offensive yeah. rhythm just because they have so many players coming in and out? Yeah, that's a great point. And yeah, I think it definitely has. I really, really do. I, but at the same time, it, it's their strength because Coach Chewy is able to go to, like I just mentioned, Jasmine Lewis in their last game against East Carolina. She was obviously 
having a better game than Tatiana Hill and, and like Coach Sampson does. If Jawan is playing better than Fabian, whether it's rebounding, whatever he's doing, whether he's going to ride Jawan and Coach Huey is starting to do that same thing. And I think he's doing a better job of that. So I think it's kind of a, a gift and a curse. I think it definitely does affect them sometimes because some players are unable to get into a rhythm. And then on the counterpart of that, some a players are able to come in and produce and he's able to stick with them. So, I mean, it, it, it's a good point. I, I guess it's a good problem to have when you have depth like that. Yeah, well, they're, they're going to have – they have three games to figure it out, and then comes the American Athletic Conference Tournament, where, like you said, um, you're right. For the most part, they've been in those games against, or frankly, all the American Athletic Conference opponents, except against USF, where they, they – they, that was easily their worst game of the season, uh, both offensively just not being able to do anything, a uh, season low with 30 – just. 35 points, which uh, it's really dreadful. But like you said, for the most part, outside of that aberration, they've been in those games, so they can string together. Uh, certainly for these next two home games, build some confidence. Who knows, once they get into March, at the end of the day, it's winner take all. You just have to be peaking at the right time. So that, that's what Ron Hughes is going to be banking on because that was the goal they set out at the beginning of the season. Real quick, before we, we end things here, uh, I we don't usually take a little bit of a national perspective, but I want to get your thoughts. Uh, going back to the men's side, obviously in the weekend, uh, the big story in, in the national college basketball world was uh, with Jawan Howard and the incident between Michigan and Wisconsin. We, we talked about Wisconsin at the beginning of the podcast. Just your thoughts on him getting uh, suspended for the remainder of the regular season, getting fined 40000 but he'll be back for the conference tournament. Thoughts on that? Do you feel like the, the suspension uh, was fitting? Uh, he definitely deserved a suspension. I'm unsure about other opportunities. I'm sure that's happened before, and I'm not sure the penalty that those coaches received, but he definitely deserved some type of suspension, some type of punishment. And um, so, I mean, I, I guess I agree with it. He definitely deserved it. I'm sure I didn't see his post-game press conference, and I'm sure he accepted responsibility for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, I mean, it, it was unfortunate. I definitely don't like that for the game. And as a black man, he's a black man. I don't like that for him because, I mean, I got to call a spade a spade. Black men don't get the same fare as other white coaches. They don't. And mm -hmm. so, although he's an NBA, former NBA player, and he has different cash shape. But at the end of the day, Penny Hardaway, we saw at the press conference that he had and the media dogged him. But everything he said in that press conference turned out to be true because you look at when he got his players back and how well they played after that. But for a coach, a man of leadership, a man who is um, not only a father figure, wears different hats as a coach, I think he, he can't allow your emotions to get the best of you. And so, I mean, I think he definitely warranted some type of punishment, whether it's not enough or enough that's not on me to decide but i definitely feel he definitely deserve it yeah and on monday again that we're recording this february 21st uh howard did in, in issue an apology uh, in a written statement um we wanted to apologize to the assistant coach at wisconsin that that he ended up the altercation was with four or the altercation was with and ultimately apologized to michigan and overall to to the community said that there's no excuses there was a mistake that he made that that he in his words I will learn from my mistake and this mistake will never happen again no excuses end quote um, so we'll leave it there certainly um, 
at the end of the day, it's basketball. It's a national perspective. We like to talk not just things affecting U of H, but across the whole uh, national landscape. But that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe once again to our podcast, wherever you may be listening, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else, Stitcher, uh, whatever platform you're doing, please give us uh, a follow, subscription, whatever it is, and be sure to leave us some stars. Yep, leave us some stars. Subscribe, like Andy said, but also follow our personal accounts. But also follow the Apollo HOU, the official Apollo account for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more Houston sports content not found anywhere else. And as always, you know, go Cougs.